so my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. That's one of those times when we say the word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God? Question mark. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Do I? Do you? Do we? I think it's all good and fine to believe in God creating everything, to believe in Jesus who came to live and die and live again, even to believe in things like the koinonia of the saints. These are all churchy things. We pray these things. We sing about these things. We preach about these things. But forgiveness, of all the lines in the Apostles' Creed, that ancient affirmation we make week after week, I think this is the clause that gives us the most pause. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. All I know is, whatever forgiveness is, it isn't easy. In fact, it's terrifying. We are not wired to forgive. It does not come to us naturally. We are actually programmed to remember so that when we get angry, we are frustrated. We don't know what to do with it. We actually have to be taught how to forgive. We have to be habituated into it because it is not our normal inclination. And yet, no one can stay married or raise children or have parents or teach or buy or sell or do pretty much anything in life without learning how to forgive and how to be forgiven. Life is not possible without forgiveness, but that doesn't make it easy. Forgiveness disrupts every single thing. It runs counter to fairness, but the whole of the gospel is built on the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness, in other words, is what makes the good news good news. Jesus, of course, has a lot to say about forgiveness. Have you ever noticed how in the Gospels Jesus is making his merry way through Galilee, encountering people left and right, and they all need him to do something? Lord, I'd like to walk again. Lord, let me see again. Lord, I, I can't stop bleeding. And every time Jesus is encountered by one of these people asking him to do something, he says almost the same thing every time. He says, your sins are forgiven. But who said anything about forgiveness? That's not what people want. They want to be able to see. They want to be able to walk. They want to stop bleeding. But Jesus forgives their sins first. And only after their forgiveness do they see and walk and stop bleeding. Perhaps that's why we Methodists have long clung to the doctrine of prevenient grace. That is, God's preemptive disposition of grace and mercy. Forgiveness comes to us from God before we ask for it, before we even think we need it. God's grace is the basis of everything we do, and in particular, our relationship to God. We can be in relationship with God, not because of our moral convictions, not because of our doctrinal doxology, not even our church credentials. It is by grace, not our goodness, that we are forgiven. It is by grace that we are saved. Because the inconvenient truth is none of us are that good to begin with. 
Not one of us is righteous, no, not one, says St. Paul. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's also Paul. One more. I know nothing good dwells within me. And therein lies the tension of our existence. We are all sinners. We are all trapped in our sins. And Jesus is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus comes to take away the sins of the world. God's action in Christ comes first, before anything else. God asks for no response, no life glued halfway back together before pardon is offered. It just so happens that even though God asks for no response, forgiveness fashions us anew. In other words, if you've ever received forgiveness, and chances are you have, I mean real forgiveness, unmerited, undeserved forgiveness, if you've ever been the recipient of that kind of goodness— you know it has the power to change your life completely. All right, Jesus, Peter says, you've been dropping that F word a lot recently. I need some clarity. Forgiveness, how many? Three times? Five? I think seven. Can we all agree seven is enough time to forgive? And Jesus says, Pete, seven? I've forgiven you seven times since breakfast. How about 77 times? What do you think about that? You see, the kingdom's like a king. A king who needs to settle up his accounts with the slaves. This king is a, a bookkeeper. He lends out money to those in need until the king needs it back. He goes through his process of reckoning. He goes through the books, and he comes across a slave who owes him $10 million. That's the Greek, by the way. $10 million. And the king sees this debt, and he orders that the slave should be sold, lock, stock, and barrel, his wife, his children. Heck, get rid of his neighbors, too. He needs to pay me back. It's a parable of judgment. But really, this is how things go in the world. You take out too much debt, at some point someone's going to come knocking at your door. But this is not a worldly story. This is a Jesus story. The servant begs, please, please have mercy. Uh, give me some time. I'll pay it all back. He will never pay it back. Ever. A slave, $10 million. He will never ever pay it back. And for some strange reason, save that of grace, the king changes his mind completely. The king doesn't give the man more time to pay. He doesn't put him on a monthly installment plan. Instead, he frees him from his slavery and then he wipes away the debt completely. This is no way to run a kingdom. Unless the kingdom is the kingdom of God. The king spends absolutely no time making calculations about profit and loss. He does not consider the implications of his declaration. He just lets it all go. Incidentally, the Greek word for forgiveness is office. It literally means let it be. Let it be. Who knew the gospel according to Paul McCartney was actually the gospel according to Jesus Christ? Let it be. And it would be enough if the story ended right there. I mean, that's a great story. $10 million in debt. The king says, you're free and you're debt-free. Go enjoy your life. That'd be a great story. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy, wait a minute. Because it's not over. This forgiven servant walking around on cloud nine comes across a friend who owes him 100 bucks. He grabs him by the neck, demands his own restitution, throws the man in jail until he can pay it back. How could anybody outside of a comic book fail to see that if you've been forgiven $10 million, you don't hold a debt of $100 over somebody's head? 
I mean, that's crazy. But this unforgiving servant is no cartoon villain. He is terribly all of us. He wants forgiveness, but he won't give it. So Jesus has sufficiently wrinkled Peter's forehead with parabolic intensity. It's as if he's laying out the whole salvation scheme in one story. He says, listen, Pete, I'm going to solve all the world's problems by doing the most unworldly thing possible. I'm going to take the ledger book and I'm going to toss it out the window. I'm literally going to die to that way of living. I'm going to take your sins away from you. I'm going to nail them on the cross and I'm going to leave them up there forever. Which is why grace is free, but it comes with a cost. Of course, course the other slaves catch wind of this story. They go to the king. They tell the king what the unforgiving servant did. The king calls him back into the throne room and condemns him to a life of self-inflicted torture. And so it will be for all of you, Jesus says. Unless you forgive your brother and your sister from your heart. It's interesting, this parable. It's a parable of judgment and it's a parable of grace. This proclamation says that if we insist on binding others' debts upon them in the name of our own desires, we will, by not letting grace have its way through us, miss out on the joy of grace inside of us. Put another way, if we want to hold on to grudges, if we want to withhold forgiveness from other people, it's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It just kind of eats away at us. And yet forgiveness is the hardest thing there is. Forgiveness is relinquishing a power we hold over someone else. And if there's anything we love in this life, it's holding power over other people. Forgiveness is the most countercultural thing we can ever do. And as St. Dolly Parton reminds us, baby, forgiveness is all there is. A few years ago, before we moved here, I was living in Woodbridge, serving a different church. It's a terrible time in the midst of the pandemic. The hospital up the street from our church was at capacity and had been at capacity for months on end. They just started rolling out the vaccines. Everyone was kind of hopeful, but a little terrified. They had it for first responders and medical professionals. And Prince William County sort of overnight decided that they're gonna include clergy in the designation for some of the first people to get the vaccine. I was beside myself. I could not believe it. I signed up for the first available spot I could get. I remember driving to the abandoned sports store that they had made makeshift into this vaccine department. I got in line with everybody else. I remember being so excited. I already rolled my sleeve up before they called me forward. They got me in the arm, and then I had to sit down for 15 minutes waiting to make sure that the vaccine was okay. And it was in that moment I was kind of overcome with emotion. I could not believe that this moment had actually arrived. That God, through God's great gifts, had inspired the hearts and minds of doctors and scientists to create this thing that would save people's lives. I mean, how amazing. And overwhelmed with gratitude, I remember putting my hands together and bowing my head and closing my eyes and praying and thanking God for this vaccine. And when I opened my eyes, there was a woman kneeling right in front of me. And I thought for a moment, maybe she, had, she was a nurse or something. She had seen me with my eyes closed and my head drooped, and maybe she thought something had gone wrong with the vaccine. But I looked at her, and she looked at me, and she said, Father, forgive me. 
it's been a long time since I've been to confession. And that's when I realized what I was wearing. I was in all black with my clergy collar. First time out in public in a year, I decided to wear my uniform. And so this total stranger, having gotten her vaccine, saw me and came and knelt before me and asked for me to forgive her. I didn't know what to do. I mean, I've seen it in the movies. So I kind of motioned for her to go forward and she told me her sins. And when it came to what felt like the end of the list, I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And she said, is that all? I said, say a couple of our fathers for good measure. And I thought it was over. I was trying to get out of there as quick as I could. But then another guy stood up and he came and he knelt right in front of me and he said, Father, forgive me. It's been a long time since I've been to confession. And then another person got up and another person got up and another person got up. And so I spent my 15 minutes of vaccine, you know, making sure I'm okay by forgiving people. You better believe as soon as my alarm went off, even though there was a line, I said, I have to leave. No more forgiveness. <laughs> I love telling this story. I still can't believe it actually happened. It was so bewildering. It's one of those moments that when it happens, you know, I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life. I love to tell this story. Because every time I tell it, somebody will invariably say, were you even allowed to do that? It's a good question. I don't know. According to the Roman Catholic Church, I'm definitely not allowed to do it. But I did. And one of the reasons I did was because I could see the desperation in their eyes when they wanted to hear the words. I could see the longing inside of them to hear that they were pardoned. I could see how much they needed and wanted some good news in a world that was drowning with bad news. The title for the sermon is Preaching What We Practice. Of course, it's flipping around the practice what we preach. Because I think sometimes we imagine that's the purpose of church, that I'm here to tell all of you how you're supposed to be living, how to get your acts together, how to do all the things Jesus says. And if that's true, if that's the whole point of my job, if that's the whole point of the church, then this sermon should end with me telling you to go out into the world, to grab your phones, and call someone who's wronged you, and forgive them. Which, by the way, not a bad idea, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is not the story of what we're supposed to do. The gospel is the story of what God has already done for us. And so when you think about that parable, the, the parable of the unforgiving servant, we always focus on how he was unwilling to forgive his fellow slave. But that is not nearly as important as the fact that the king, who should not have forgiven him, practiced forgiveness. You know, we don't get together week after week to hear advice about all the things we should or shouldn't be doing. Instead, we are here to, do about, to hear about all the things that God has done. And when we hear about what God has done, it frees us to live differently than how we woke up this morning. We're in the business of forgiveness. That's my job. My job is to remind you of the good news. I have the best job in the world. I get to remind people like you week after week after week 
While the world tells you you're not doing enough, while the world tells you you've fallen short, I get to tell you that you're loved, that you have worth and value. We're in the business of forgiveness, the hardest but most important business there is. So hear this good news. Christ died for you while you were a sinner. Christ took the ledger book, keeping tabs on you, and threw it away forever. Christ died for you. And that proves God's love toward you. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Believe it. You are forgiven. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.